it's Joe Esposito talking college basketball on Cofield and Company. All right, rolling into the 3 o'clock hour. Hockey game tonight, 6.30 start. You got the $5 draft beer special here at Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Adam Hill alongside. Breath of relief, sigh of relief. Got your uh, mock draft. How many of these did you do? Uh, this is number five. Okay. Final one? Yeah. And now you get to have the sweats because between 218 when it posted and tomorrow's draft, who the hell knows what happens. There could be rumors. could be trades. Well, I will, I will tell you. You put trades in there, right? I did in this one, and I will tell you that the Broncos in my mock draft had traded up to number four to take a quarterback. And, uh, oh, did, you, did it post that way, or you had to do a switcheroo? No, I, I did the old switcheroo. And, and so now I, I, I should have redone the entire thing, but it, it took about like 15 hours to write. So I wasn't going to just redo everything. Uh, we had to get it in. So I just I made some quick adjustments. Uh, that I don't love, and I did it. Yeah, I kind of, you know, with the fourth pick, went a little bit easier than I should have. Uh, I just had another team from way down in the first round make the trade up, and it only changed four picks instead of changing twenty picks. Uh, but I still like most of it. So I think we're still good. So, what's your reaction to the Denver trade? Bridgewater, six round pick, going to the Panthers. Panthers pay seven million dollars of his salary. Broncos pay three million. So Teddy Bridgewater. Ninety-nine point nine percent. The starting quarterback for the Broncos now. Uh, well, I, I think it's more. We'll see what they do with Locke. I think I think it's a challenge to Locke to say maybe it's an open competition. We'll see what happens. I don't know if they're going to get rid of him. I, I don't know how they're going to handle that. But I think part, part of the the you know the the means to the end of drafting a quarterback for them was going to be hey, it's still your job for you know the start of the season. But we've got a first-round quarterback here ready to go. And I think it might be the same with Bridgewater. I, like, Bridgewater, I think, has been good in the past. Last year, he wasn't good. Especially the second half of the year, he was pretty bad. So I, I don't think you just hand it over to him. I think you, you challenge Locke. And the, what's you know what's the worst thing that can happen? That Locke completely destroys Bridgewater and Locke's your player and, and you go forward with somebody who has a little bit more confidence? Yeah, that works. But I, th- I think maybe it does impact well, – any trade in the division with, for a quarterback impacts the Raiders – uh, but I think it will be interesting to see what they do with that pick because I do think the Raiders were hoping for a certain player to slip down draft boards, and I think there's a very good chance that the Broncos take him. Oh, wow. Okay, good tease for later on. I like it. See, I'm a pro. Like I'm a pro. We gotta, we'll, uh, we'll get into Adam Hill's mock draft uh, in the 5 o'clock hour, also at around uh, 4.15 with Caleb Herring, our college football insider. Let's go out to Joe Esposito. Coach Joe is up with us. Hey, Joe. What's going on? You fired up about the draft? You follow it? You care? Yeah, I follow it a little bit. I want to see what room they're going to have Cliff Kingsbury sitting in this time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you see that uh, the uh, Rams staff actually tried to outdo Kingsbury because last year Kingsbury was at his house. So the Rams actually rented some freaking zillion-dollar house in Malibu, and they've got, like, sponsor signage all over the place. And the great thing is the Rams really don't pick much in the draft. They traded away all their draft picks, I think. Uh, McVay, the boy genius, just wants shots of him and his nice hair just hanging out at the pool. Yeah. You know, it, it, the difference is, though, it's not their house. You know, he was just chilling in his living room. Yeah. But it did, look, it did look like a resort, though, I'll tell you. It's, uh, it's a beautiful part of town up there where he lives in Arizona. I think it's, a, it's similar to the Esposito estate. I feel like it's about the same. 
Yeah, you know, it looks a little different. Maybe maybe his size might be a little different, but yeah, he's got the same kind of flair when you think about it. Same theme, same theme. I know, same theme. Joe, actually, do you have a do you have a giant walk-in closet? Because I remember your your suits, and then you. I mean, no matter where you live, you must have some sort of giant shoe rack in a closet, right? Well, you know, I've actually taken over three closets at my (laughs) house. You know, when you don't have when you have empty rooms, you got to do something, but. You know, but the biggest problem with me is this. I have so many clothes. The reason is, is because I have small, medium, large, and extra large. Yeah. You know, it depends what part of my life I'm in right now, so i got to just shift it out. So right now I'm in the, the extra large section of my closet, and then I move the rest into the other rooms. But so I do love, enjoy, I definitely love collecting shoes and, and all sorts of things. And it was fun being in Vegas, wearing different shoes every night. And Vegas was a perfect city to bring that flair. I mean, I think you're kind of going for the joke there, but when you're, you just keep the clothes. You like you think you get back into them, or you think you're going to grow into some more. Like you keep all those clothes. Yeah, I just I don't know. It's psychological. I don't know. Maybe I'm cheap. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but you know, to be honest, to be honest with you, you never know what weight I'm going to be. I mean, I fluctuate. One month I'm keto Joe, and then I'm taco Joe. I mean, you never know what it'll be. But right now, it's Coach Joe. I bet you Taco Joe's happier. <laughs> I love he's a, Taco Joe. He's, he's a lot happier. Yeah. I, I don't even like tacos, but we, that's another story. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll use that spot for next week. All right, let's talk uh, college basketball close to home first. Um, I guess not a shocker that uh, Kaluma, the uh, final top fifty recruit that uh, UNLV had a letter of intent from, that was back to the Ots era, oh so long ago, right? But uh, he's out. He's out, so I don't know if it's devastating, but, it, you know, it's a loss. That would have been a nice guy to have around for a couple of years. No no question. I mean, you, <laughs> you was a heck of a player. He's really, really good. I mean, there's no question about it. You know, and he was tied tight, you know, with uh, the Collins kid. I mean, they were tied together coming in here and going to change the deal, you know, and uh, he's a top 50 recruit to go to UNLV. That was a big get for him, and I think he'll stay closer to home. I think you'll see him at Arizona State, to be honest. Mm. But uh, he's got a great future. He's going to be a great college player, and he'll be a great pro. So what do you think the uh, the Rebels are going to do from here in terms of trying to fill those last two or three spots? You know, there's still a lot of guys with a portal. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there. They're over 1,500 now. I mean, there's a lot of guys still available. They're going to have to really be, be smart about who they go out and get. Um, you know, th- those, are, those are some big spots, though. They they got to get somebody in here that can really make an impact. And there are some guys in the in the portal still. You know, if you look at a kid like Marcus Carr, you know, out of Minnesota, you know, uh, Marcus Bagley's in there, the Arizona I think he'll probably go in the draft. But, like, a guy like Rocket Watt, oh, a yeah. uh, kid out of Michigan State, that's a kid I would go all after. You know, bring him into Vegas, show him the, show him the glitter, the glitz, the arena, the facilities, everything they have to offer. He's a kid, the big kid at Memphis. He was a freshman, seven-footer. I mean, there's some guys out there they can get in that can make immediate impact, and I'm sure that's what they're working on, and that's probably their main focus right now is uh, that. And then also trying to get Bryce Hamilton to come back, which I don't know if that's possible. Yeah, what do you think the likelihood of that is? Well, I don't, I don't you know, I personally don't think it's going to happen. I, I just don't think that, you know, he's testing the waters, but, you know, when you really think about it, he's testing the waters. He's got to be a shooting guard in the NBA. I mean, there's no question. He's got to be a shooting guard at 6'4". And, you know, he improved this year. I think the big major improvement he made was he was more able to play make a little bit this year, which you didn't see in the year before. But that also increased his uh, turnovers. 
Um, he shot the ball better from three this year, so that was a good thing because he needs to shoot the ball better in order to be an NBA prospect. But, you know, he doesn't go to the free throw line enough. That's something he's going to work on. And to be honest with you, he should take the advice of a guy like Derek Austin, who they were worried about his three-point shooting shot. He's at Boise for an extra year, goes back to Boise. He goes from 33% from three to 42% from three. Now, he's a wing that's 6'9". He's got a way better chance than Bryce to get drafted in the NBA. Uh, we mentioned Kaluma earlier. I don't know if you had a chance to read the story I sent you from last week in the uh, RJ locally, but on Zion Collins and, you know, uh, and this is the way the legal system works. His lawyers are unbelievable, and they may have him on track to not have any sort of penalty in this horrific, tragic uh, death of a 52-year-old that goes back a couple of months ago involving Zion Collins. As a college basketball program, a coach, I mean, what do you do? You reach out to him immediately? I mean, he, what if he's available to play in the fall? I mean, do you think Otzelberger goes right back to him and brings him to Iowa State? I mean, how do you handle a situation like this? These are kind of unheard-of situations. Yeah, you know, I think they're probably – he's still probably contacting people that are in his corner. And I think, you know, for, for coaches, you just got to let the legal system take its, take its route. You know, you don't want to make any comments about anybody when they're involved with some kind of court deal or, or legal thing. And, and uh, you just want that to happen. And when that's over, then things happen. Because there's been plenty of players that have been involved in all sorts of different legal battles. And uh, I think what they'll do is just evaluate the situation, see what's up, and then kind of go from there. And, uh, you know, if, if, if that happens and he, you know, doesn't have any charges or whatever, I'm sure that he'll be playing college basketball somewhere. Coach, you've been around a ton of college basketball programs, and not this case in particular, but in general, if there's a situation like this, it's, it's pretty unique, but a situation like this where there's a kid with some question marks and you don't know the whole situation, everything that's going on, how much does the does the institution have to weigh in? Like, How much does the coach, before they go talk to a player, would have to clear it with like, the president and the AD and everybody else, uh, and how many coaches just have the authority to be like, no, I'm going to go do this, I don't care what anybody says? Yeah, I think there's definitely coaches, to be honest with you, Adam, that have the authority to pretty much do whatever they want when they're programmed. I mean, they're, you know, when you're looking at a president making 400000 and you're looking at a basketball coach making $4.8 million, um, it, it's kind of a different, unique situation for a lot of situations like this. Um, a lot of colleges, though, and a lot of universities do have a pecking order of where you go. I think if the coach is smart, and he's trying to, you know, make the athletic director aware of everything that's happening in his program, he would reach out and then they go through the, you know, the chain of command and so forth and so on. But not every coach is like that. Some coaches are so caught up in their program and not worried about anything but making their program successful. So I think it goes both ways. Uh, I've seen it both ways. But for the most part, I think a lot of coaches will keep their athletic director informed. And I think they need to because – it's a team thing. You've got to have everybody on that campus on, on in your corner. Because as soon as things go bad, man, you're in trouble. But if you have everybody on campus in your corner doing the things they need to do to help your program be successful, you're going to be way better off as a coach. Joe Esposito, College Basketball Insider, former UNLV assistant. He's at uh, Minnesota and Texas Tech, lots of other spots. He's down in Arizona now. Uh, I want to get into some recruiting here, and we'll talk about some of the other – transfer portal decisions but first uh number one player in the country we think out of high school why do you think chet holmgren chose gonzaga well you know it, it was one of the reasons i think was really helped uh, gonzaga is that he played aau basketball with Suns, you know in minnesota he played for the minnesota sizzle and they were put together for for a long time but 
when you really look at it, I mean, I think the negative thing that other coaches are probably telling him is like Gonzaga is not in a power conference. They play bad competition, all that other stuff. But when they do play good competition, just think they've been the number one seed three out of the past four years in the NCAA tournament. They've had 30 plus win seasons, five straight years in a row, 30 plus wins. And uh, six straight years they've gone on the second weekend of Sweet 16. So not only are they the number one team in the country, now they got the number one player in the country, and they just keep the ball rolling. So I think that's why he went there. I think Suggs really helped that situation. It's a big hurt for a school like Minnesota. If they can keep that young man home, I think it changes their whole program and the whole realm of things. His dad played at Minnesota. So I think that they're the worst hurt about the whole situation for him to go all the way across the country to Gonzaga. But Gonzaga's got a great program and something to sell young men. And it seems like that's the place everybody wants to go. Joe Esposito's with us, College Basketball Insider and Cofield and Company as we're live here at the TI Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar getting ready for a VGK game tonight. Big one, big one after a layoff here against the Avs. So far at Utah State, Ryan Odom's in. You know, Craig Smith is out. Craig Smith went to Utah. He took a couple of guys with him. He took a couple of guys with him in uh, Anthony and then uh, Riley Wooster. Can both of those guys play at Utah? You know, I think they can. You know, uh, Anthony's a grad transfer. You know, he was on the all-defensive team, and I think he can really defend 10 points, 5 rebounds. I think he's a solid guy. He gives you one year. He knows your system. He knows what you're about. He knows the culture, so he can help start that up. And then Riley Worcester, he's a freshman. I mean, you're looking at 9 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists. He's got an incredible mid-range game. I don't know if you remember the game on January 27th when uh, UNLV played him. He almost had a triple-double. He had 19 points, 9 rebounds and nine assists, and uh, he's a stat stuffer. If you watch him in games, man, does he have a great mid-range game. And there's, and there's not a lot of guys you would say that about across the country. I mean, he might be one of the one of the only ones that I would even think about in my mind. What a great mid-range game. He can pull up on a dime. He can hit the 17-foot shot, the 14-foot shot, and uh, he has a unique game. I think that will carry over. I think it's a good move. Now, Ryan Odom, he's going to have to do a re- re- rebuild. Just like Craig Smith did when he got there, he's going to have to rebuild that program, and uh, it's not going to be as easy as he probably thought when he first got there. All right, Joe, let's get to an interesting story in – well, I want to get to it in a second, in women's basketball, about Kim Mulkey. But first, do you have a couple of teams you're looking at between the freshman and the transfer portal where you're like, wow, that squad reloaded. They are great coming in with new players. Well, well you know, when you look at just not only the transfer portal, but when you look at just recruiting in general – you know, Juwan Howard, what he's done. I mean, it's incredible to see the thing. And everybody was questioning, you know, that first year, can he coach, whatever. He's the number one seed, one of the number one seeds in the NCAA tournament. He's the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament. And now he has the number one recruiting class. I mean, he has two one-and-done guys. He signed the 11th best player in the country and the 6th best player in the country. So, I mean, he loaded up. Obviously, Gonzaga is probably the next team that I think is loaded up. But you're going to see some of those blue bloods back. You know, I... Duke, for instance, I think them signing three five-star prospects, that's going to get them back in the realm. I think Kentucky, they signed really three good top 30 prospects, and they've done a great job with the portal and stuff. So, I I mean, you look at it, there's so many teams that have really loaded up again and reloaded. You know, Baylor making an incredible, uh, incredible. I mean, they got a a first-team Pac-12 player. You know, he goes, and he does his route. He goes to Georgetown, Arizona, now Baylor. Um, but Baylor's had that success now. Just remember last year's team. He got Mitchell and Butler came from Auburn. He came from UNC Asheville. Flagler came from Presbyterian. And JTT came from UNLV. 
So there's something to be said about getting the right transfers in, the ones that fit, and it's just tough on some of those small schools that are losing these players that they develop. Like, as a mid-major coach, do you stop developing players because you don't want them to leave? Like, it's kind of a weird situation for a lot of those mid-range schools. That is crazy. Uh, I think a great week for female coaches. If you're coveted, you have the potential of making a lot of money. What do you think of Kim Mulkey moving on? She was making $2.27 at Baylor. She moves on to LSU. Apparently, she's getting a bump up at LSU. And interesting, interesting, because, man, she, she fought like hell. She said a couple of stupid things in defense of Baylor, and now she's gone. Well, you know, maybe she was looking at the, uh, the, the Chris Beard uh, situation. I don't know. <laughs> you know, with, with women's basketball, they want to get paid just like the men do, right? And, you know, she what the job that she did do at Baylor. I mean, when you look at 632 wins and 104 losses, three national titles in 21 seasons, she's a Hall of Famer, yeah. great coach. But she's got roots. You know, she's got roots back in Louisiana. She played at La Tech. And uh, just think, LSU women's basketball – had five straight Final Four uh, deals from 2004 to 2008. They were in the Final Four, and they haven't gone since. So I think she's the perfect person for that job. I'm not a huge women's basketball follower, but I do know she's a great coach. I've seen her coach live myself when they when I was in that league, and uh, she does a good job with her team. Joe, let's close on this. Uh, there's some early mock drafts out there for the NBA, and, and you know, uh, very much – a feel with some ties there to UNLV, some uh, brothers of guys who were here, or at least, yeah, guys who were here are probably going to go in the top ten in the draft. Yeah, it looks like it. You know, Cade Cunningham probably be with number one. Suggs will probably go two. I like Evan Mobley, you know, at USC. I think that he's a guy that's going to go up in that top five. And then you got Jalen Green and Jonathan Kamingo. That's Jay Green's brother and Joel Nakumbe's brother. Two guys Marvin Menzies had at UNLV. I still believe if it would all played out, they would have probably wore UNLV jerseys, and that program probably would have been contending for a national championship. Just look oh. at the players that were there. I still believe that. Yeah, I'm a little biased, but you talk about some cool situations and some really neat things to see in this draft. And those two guys, you got to wish them the best. And you're going to see JTT in that draft here before too long, too. So there's a lot of good, good things that happened back in our little era when we were there at UNLV. Joe, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. You guys have a great week. Bye-bye. There he is, Joe Esposito, the coach, down in Arizona. Yeah, I think that was the plan. I'm not sure that UNLV was going to land both of the guys. Maybe they would have got a year with Tom Boy on the roster and uh, his brother Kaminga. But bottom line, they both uh, forego their college eligibility, go one year to the G League, and uh, I don't want to get into the argument. I see there's a, there's a lot of college, like very pro-college basketball media people who are like, see? You, know, you go to the G League, you just disappear like that. They're both going to be top ten picks. They missed out on nothing by passing on college. I mean, I think the, the argument that I've seen, which is kind of silly, is maybe the original shoe deal better. If you go to college, if you star in like the NCAA tournament and you uh, go that way, that you know you're you're already kind of a celebrity. You're already getting endorsements. You're moving along. Now the counter would be the guys that are in the G League. Well, it's going to start in college too, but the guys in the G League were already making money. They already had their salary. They already had some endorsement deals, and they uh, started their clock earlier on making money. Uh, and and who knows if you go to college if you're even like famous in, in that way. I mean, a lot of guys just go to college. They play really well, but nobody ever really knows them, and you know they don't really make a name for themselves in college. Not that many people watch college basketball really until the tournament. Coming up next, a little more reaction to uh, Teddy Bridgewater traded today to the Broncos and what that means for the Raiders. Are the Raiders now the worst team in the AFC West?
Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island, it's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Hill on ESPN Las Vegas. So big news of the day before the NFL draft and also in the AFC West, Teddy Bridgewater, Panthers to the Broncos. Six-round pick goes to the Panthers, and the Panthers are paying seven mil of the 10 that's owed for his salary this year, for Bridgewater's salary. The Broncos just got a new starting quarterback for $3 million. The Bears, the Patriots for this year, I still think without a good option at starting quarterback. And I mentioned the Steelers earlier. I don't know what they're doing. I would have brought Bridgewater for $3 million. I bring Bridgewater in as the uh, bridge <laughs> and the backup in case Big Ben sucks again. Yeah, I mean, for that, for that cost which is very little. Uh, again, he, he struggled, especially the second half of last year. He wasn't great, but he was serviceable. Yeah. You know, I would say like 16 to 20 in the league kind of guy. Right. Maybe a little bit lower, but uh, you know that's, that's pretty good for a backup at a very reasonable rate without having to give up a whole lot uh, to trade him. And as you said, he's, he's kind of proven to be a good locker room guy, a good uh, mentor, everything else that he's done. So uh, – I think that would have been a a pretty good move for them. I don't know if they somehow feel okay about uh, the goof that they have there as a backup, but um, maybe that's something. And you think this potentially, because it could take the Broncos out of the mix to draft a quarterback at nine, it could potentially screw the Raiders in the draft? Potentially. I mean, it kind of does anyway, because... You know, if the Broncos are not taking a quarterback, they're going to take another player uh, of a different position, and that will you know move everybody else down a notch of where they might have gone. Uh, and if a quarterback does potentially fall way down the first round, uh, then there's just one more you know good position player somewhere that's going to fall. But I think specifically, um, the Raiders seem to really like Micah Parsons. Uh, I don't think he's going to fall all the way to them. Uh, but there are some some questions off the field. There's some maturity concerns, as they say now, uh, about you know some of the things from his past, especially when he was a freshman at Penn State, when he was like 17, 18 years old, as he said. Uh, so there's a possibility that he kind of takes a tumble in the first round. To me, the best defensive player in the draft, very, very good linebacker. Linebacker, not the best uh, position, the most valuable position. You don't always want to go that way in the first round, but uh, he's a guy that I think could be a potential top 10 pick uh, that could also fall way down in the first round. I think the the Raiders are at a spot at 17 that if he's there, you have to t- think about taking him. And I think that there are people uh, within the Raiders organization that would, that would jump at the chance to take him at 17. To me, now the Broncos are very much in the Micah Parsons derby. Linebacker is a position that they absolutely should target. Uh, I know I saw uh, a player quoted anonymously yesterday uh, when they asked, like, do you think you're going to be taking a quarterback? This is before the trade, obviously. Uh, And he said, I hope not. We need a linebacker. And so Micah Parsons really is the only linebacker that you would consider taking that high. Uh, JOK is not really – I think he's more late teens type of pick, maybe early 20s. 
Uh, Parsons is the guy that's talented enough to maybe go at that pick. So maybe the Broncos take him and maybe he comes off the Raiders board. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts. Only on Cofield and Company. All right, let's do it on a Wednesday as Justin is in. What's up, Justin? What's happening? A whole lot. You fired up for the game tonight? Big game. Avs in town. Uh, another one of those uh, games you get a chance to send a message, but more importantly, uh, try to create some distance here so the Knights aren't caught in the playoffs having to play uh, both the Wild and potentially the Avs. Yeah, I think it's a big game. I'm going to be there. Um, and it's, it's somewhat unfortunate that uh, there's players out on both sides, so we – it's not like it's exactly a preview of a potential, you know, West Division final, um, but I think it puts us in the best position to, to take the West Division regular season and, and get that four number one seed. So we face the four seed. So I think it's a big game. We do we do talk about that, you know, getting that one seed. So you you play the four instead of playing maybe two tough opponents to get out of the division. But are you concerned with potentially getting the President's Cup Cup and the jinx that goes along with it? <laughs> well, I just think this year, I, I, I don't know. I think you throw out all the, the normal superstitions and all the rules out this year um, because I, I, are they even going to award the President's Cup? It, sure. I don't see how you could do that. They are? Sure. Yeah, if you finish, if you're for the first place team, if you have the most points, it's a real season. <laughs> just with nobody playing anybody in this, uh, the way this regular season has been, I mean, uh, for, for my money's worth, I, I was super happy they were back. I'm, I've been going to all the games. I've been to every, almost every one of them since they've been back in person and T-Mobile. Um, so I'm still trying to support the team. But like I, this has been a pretty, I think, uh, terrible regular season, somewhat unwatchable, especially against the Ducks. <laughs> At this point, we've played everybody enough. Like I'm, yeah. I'm ready for the playoffs. Let's go. Justin Watkins, Battleborn Injury Lawyers, is with us. 570-9000 is the number. All right, well, uh, we're just you know trying to get past what happened with uh, George Floyd and Chauvin and all that in the last couple weeks, You know, going back months and months and months, and now we've got a case that seems eerily similar. Uh, I mean, again, you don't jump to conclusion on this uh, too early, but video, according to headline here, video shows police kneeled on Mario Gonzalez's back for five minutes before he died. And at a minimum... Justin, it looks like we've got a difference between what the initial report was and what the video shows. Again, yeah, we have uh, the official statement from the police department and, and what's in the report not comporting with what is on video. It's Again, it's deceit, lies, uh, it's um, you know withholding of relevant facts at best for them. Uh, now, I watched the whole video. And I just want more information. You know, I want to I want to see what the medical examiner says on this because, you know, my sort of layman's take on it is this guy was really, really messed up on some sort of mind-altering substance, um, was unable to communicate, really. Um, I mean, he was saying some words, but they were not sensical. 
to the questions that were being asked for the most part. And I, I wouldn't say he was combative. He, he was not endangering anybody, but they made the choice to, to subdue him. And when they attempted to put his arms behind his back, I'm going to say resist. I, don't, I just don't know that he had the intention of resisting. I just think he was in such a different state of mind, a different world, that it just he was rigid. Um, but I think there's also a difference between this one and George Floyd in that they were not, they were not kneeling on his neck. At no point in the video did I see him on, on his neck. They were, they were kind of in between his shoulder blades. Um, so if he, if the cause of death though is, you know, from this, from lack of oxygen due to kneeling, then I, I think that there's something should be done. I do. Uh, I think it's not as intentional, um, as George Floyd. I don't think these guys were, these cops are being aggressive. I don't think that they were, um, trying to hurt him. Um, but I also think that they freaked out and lied in their report and tried to cover it up. Well, I guess start with that. How how relevant is that? If like, does it go to state of mind of feeling guilty? If you if you lie because you're like, well, I don't know how to explain this. I'm just going to say this, so we don't have to really get too far into it. So no, normally it's going to have no relevancy, but credibility is always relevant. So normally, whatever happens after the fact is not really going to come in. But when we have an official record that you created that you lied about, then absolutely, if, they're, if charges are pressed against these guys, they're going to put that forward and say, you lied. And so you, you're sitting here today saying it wasn't your intention to do X, Y, or Z. Why should the jury believe you? You're, you're a liar. And they're, they're absolutely able to do that. It is a, it's a standard jury instruction, which says if – one thing is proven to be false that somebody did. You can, you have the freedom to assume that everything that they're talking about is a lie. So, I know this was a big part of the of the George Floyd trial, and I, and you said how these cases are different. But you you mentioned the you know wait for the medical report, see what the cause of death was, that sort of thing. Like, how much responsibility do the officers have to understand? Like, if somebody is in you know, an altered state or somebody, you know, it is a certain way, like, do you have to treat them differently or can you just treat them like you normally would with anybody and say, hey, it's on you that you were in this state? That's a great question. And I don't think that we have a standard answer that works its way around the country as to how to deal with the, I'll say, mentally ill or mentally altered person. And unfortunately, we put that obligation on the police nine times out of ten. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, even in the state of Nevada, uh, you know, they, they basically say the biggest mental health facility in the state is our prison system. Mm. So we have something in Nevada called the Legal 2000. If you think somebody's about to harm themselves, which is what I think this call was about, because that was one of the first things they started asking him is, do you, do you want to hurt yourself? So, you know, if somebody seems in an in a off place and they, you think that they're a danger to themselves or others, you could do what's called a legal 2000 hold, which is you could take them into custody, you could take them to a hospital to be evaluated, and they could be held up to 72 hours against their will for evaluation purposes. 
Um, and unless there is some sort of something that requires admission in, within that 72 hours, then you have to let them go. Um, you can let them go sooner, too, if a psychologist signs off and a doctor signs off and says, nope, this person is, is fine, there's nothing wrong. Um, so I, I have compassion for law enforcement in regards to how they have to deal with the mentally ill or people who are on drugs or alcohol or an altered state of mind. But at this point, that is a significant portion of their job. And so if they are not trained, they should be trained. Um, and I, I can't believe they're not getting any training in that regard. Is it a different case if, you know, somebody has a, like asthma or somebody has a heart condition, something like that, if they're stating it? It was like, hey, like, take it easy. I've got asthma or take it easy. I just, you know, I just got out of the hospital. I have a heart condition, something like that. Like, is there is there a law or is that just, you know, kind of the the, you know, the interactions that they have? Like, we don't have any set you know standard for it but it's just it's part of the whole situation yeah it's it's part of what you have to take into a into account when you're determining what a reasonable police officer would do under the circumstances right even if no such police officer exists in the world <laughs> you are supposed to as a jury make a call as to what the reasonable police or law enforcement officer would do under the same circumstances so it all comes into play. You know, he told you he has asthma. He asked you to roll him over or what have you. They did, he didn't in this case. Like I said, the, the, the sedent was mostly non-communicative. Right. He, did, he did say some things like, I'm sorry. He, did, he, he knew his name. Um, but he, he just kept, like, staring off into space and saying, no, no, that's not it. It's not that. It's not that. Um, as he was kind of being rigid about being handcuffed. And so I, I just felt like there was something clearly wrong and off about him. But I also, there's nothing on the tape that showed that he was a danger to anybody at the time that they approached him. I mean, he was just kind of hanging out in a little park sort of area with a whole bunch of alcohol with him and just sort of standing there. Justin Watkins, Battleborn Injury Lawyers, our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider. Uh, moving back to um, sports in the collegiate ranks, you know, LSU apparently has an issue going back to probably 10 years ago now with its uh, its previous coach, Les Miles. Um, lawsuit that was just filed, uh, headline, LSU conspired to cover up reports of sexual misconduct and dating violence, new lawsuit claims. And the lawsuit incl- uh, includes three former LSU tennis players, two former football recruiting office student workers a former student and a current student uh they say that uh the school had uh, prioritized its reputation of football program above their safety and welfare for creating a quote culture of silence so what do you see on this one yeah first off the, the first thing that came to mind is does this surprise anybody does like anybody actually think at lsu anymore that any student is protected over the football program i I, you know, I don't go to school there. I don't know that, but I certainly would think that football is king and they're going to do everything they can to protect football players. But I thought this lawsuit was clever because they named, they, they filed a class action lawsuit basically on behalf of all women who have attended the university. <laughs> and what they're saying is it's not just those personally affected. It is a damn 
damage that you've done to all women students by creating this environment and this culture in violation of Title IX. So I thought it was a really clever lawsuit, and I'm going to be really interested to see where it goes. Would this be would this be relevant to the lawsuit? I I love that I, that this happened right at this time, but LSU just went and hired Baylor's women's basketball coach, who in the past has vehemently defended Baylor against some of these same accusations and same uh, things that have been brought up in this LSU case. She's been so over the top about it, and now they bring her in as part of the lawsuit saying, like, you clearly don't care about this culture at all. Look who you just hired. Well, I mean, I guess to, to that extent, it's not that they, they're going to admit that that culture exists, right? They're going to start by saying, no, 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 that's not true. We never created such a culture. It never existed, and it doesn't exist today. So it's not like they're going <laughs> to admit to having that culture and that furthering that culture by hiring this person, but it certainly doesn't help their <laughs> argument against it, right? Like To your point, you picked one of the most vocal defenders of institutions who have failed to protect you know, victims of sexual assault and sexual abuse <laughs> as your coach. You continue to do this. You are so blindsided by or, or, or so blind to the, to the harms that you've done culturally to women at your school that you can't even see that that hiring was a mistake. And I think it's, yeah, I, I would certainly bring it up. Justin Watkins with us. All right, I want to talk Antonio Brown. It looks like he's back in the fold with the Buccaneers. Last week, um, dispute between he and a lady named Brittany Taylor settled. The NFL supposedly going to keep looking into this. We've talked about this issue many times. Should the NFL just back off once the issue has been settled? <laughs> you know my stance on this. So first off, there's been no criminal charges against Antonio Brown. This was a civil complaint. Um based on sexual assault, which is a big deal. Uh, but my, my sense has always been it's a law enforcement issue. Allow law enforcement to do their due diligence and do their work. If there is some sort of arrest or uh, allegation, um, probable, probable cause and detention or charges pressed for a violent act that you should suspend until the investigation is done. If it's a nonviolent act, then you continue to play until there's an ultimate resolution. Here, this is a civil claim. Uh, the victim has settled with Antonio Brown. And so what does that mean? If They, they say they're going to continue to move forward with their investigation. So what does that mean? It means the victim's not going to cooperate with you anymore. There's no way. There wouldn't be a settlement if, if she was. Uh, so she's not going to cooperate. The only way that she's going to be compelled to testify in any given way is with a criminal subpoena in court, which you're not going to get um, because there's no criminal charges. So I think they're doing that at simple. They're, they're making that statement simply from a PR standpoint to say, no, 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 we are not going to let him off the hook just because he has money to pay her off. We're still going to look into this, but there's nothing to look into. I mean, I don't know what, what information they think they're going to get. Nobody's going to cooperate with them. Last one, Justin, uh, for some reason, now we're talking about these two, uh, I'll call them buffoons, but they're actually kind of brilliant. These Paul brothers, we're talking about them every day because they're getting involved in more beefs and big fights. And I just saw that the uh, the company that promoted that uh, Jake Paul 
pay-per-view with all the musicians, and Frank Mir was on there. Well, Triller has filed a lawsuit against illegal streamers alleging $100 million in damages for stolen streams and you know folks not using the pay-per-view. And they actually named a bunch of different sites, FilmDaily.com and like 11 others. I, I feel like the UFC has tried to do this. Maybe it's different. Do they have any sort of shot to win a bunch of money? And well, by the way, where would the money come from? Yeah, I don't think they have any shot, right? I mean, they, they didn't have any names of any individuals right. behind the website. So they say they're going to be able to get that. They say the VPN, they, they, they're going to find their way through the VPN system, and they're going to get them. And, okay, if they do, and even if they don't get money, but they get a pirate off there, and maybe they can work with some criminal authorities and make get some criminal charges pressed against these people, will it? potentially dissuade future pirators out there? Yeah. Okay. And if that's your your tactic, that's fine. Um, but they're, they're not the first to try this. And finding these illegal streamers, it seems to be incredibly difficult. And the ones who seem to be do seem to make a living how to do in this uh, seem to know how to hide out pretty good and what's countries to be in when they're doing it to avoid U.S. jurisdiction. So I don't think ultimately it's going to amount to anything, but I mean, it's not the question that could. Will they get money out of this? No, but that's not why they're doing it. I think you kind of just answered what I was going to follow up with there, but so wouldn't that be the, the better course is to work with authorities and try to charge them criminally? And and just uh, on, the, on the side of that, you said nowhere to hide out. Like if you hosted a server in a place like where they couldn't figure it out would that be different than if you lived here i, I, I mean i i don't know how the you know the jurisdiction will work of like where you live and where the server is necessarily but i feel like going after them criminally or at least working with authorities to go after them criminally would work better than trying to get an, a lawsuit that's not going to get you any money yeah but here's the problem is they don't know which authorities to work with yet right they need a case that gives them subpoena power to figure out where this where they are so it, so then they can go to those local authorities and say here's the information we have and give it to them in a you know in a gift wrap box so they have to have a lawsuit open in order to get the subpoena power they need to get that information so that's number one number two is does it matter where the server is i you know uh, judge dan asked me this on the podcast the other day or we were talking about it last week and I said, I don't know, but I'm just going to go back to my Napster days and say that, like, .ru seemed to be a big deal for, <laughs> for getting some of the music. And so being in Russia or having the server in Russia or having the website on a Russian server seemed to be the way to go. Maybe the laws have caught up to that now, uh, but at least at some point it mattered. And I, I don't practice in this area even a little bit to, to begin to tell you, like, Okay, if where the server is versus where the person is versus what you know software they go about attempting to access a server, which of those things determines jurisdiction? I, I don't know. Justin, good spot, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. There he is, Justin Watkins. Uh, tomorrow night, no legal podcast. What we're going to do is a special draft react podcast. We'll go on a little bit early, a lot early. We usually go on at nine o'clock on Thursdays with Law and Sporter instead. We'll be live at the uh, Battleborn Podcast Studios and uh, around the Chargers pick, so whatever time that's going to be, about 6.30. We're going to carry it through. 
the Raiders pick and then a few picks beyond, go back and look at the rest of the first round and uh, what you know teams in the uh, AFC West have done. Char- uh, Chiefs are out, but we'll react to what happened. And obviously we'll grade mostly what the Raiders pick at number 17. That's tomorrow. That'll be live up on ESPN Las Vegas Facebook at Steve Cofield on Twitter. We've got a YouTube page. We'll send out the link multiple times, but special draft reaction show with a bunch of the guys on the show and some of our other football experts. That'll start tomorrow at 6.30 in the evening. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Giveaway time. Caller 7, 364-1100, Get uh, trimmed up, cleaned up. Let's do it. Floyd's 99 cuts and color. You get the haircut, the hot lather, neck shave, shoulder massage, free massage shampoo, VIP package at Floyd's 99 cuts and color. Caller 7, 364-1100. Two locations for Floyd's 99 cuts and color, South Rainbow and 215, and in Henderson at Stephanie and Sunset. We're going to get to uh, the Paul brothers, Dana White, Daniel Cormier, Kamaru Usman, Floyd Mayweather, Logan Paul. Coming up, 5 o'clock hour. I just got into, it's the last day, so you guys need to get in as well, our drafting for dough contest. We got a $1,000 cash prize plus a $250 gift card to the Raiders Image store. It's up at lvsportsnetwork.com, lvsportsnetwork.com. Now, you do have to be careful. I'm not, I didn't hit the enter button yet, but uh, you actually can pick a player twice. So you mm. don't want to do that because I actually did that. Um, I forgot who I picked earlier. Could so. you, you could just pick a player twice, like five spots, and make sure you get one right. I don't know. I, uh, the last thing I think we want to suggest is how to game our contest, which That's you're great point. at. Yeah. That's a good point. Because the whole thing will come crashing down. Because uh, whatever you think you can do in terms of gaming, they didn't think of. <laughs> uh, first pick, Zach Wilson. No. Uh, Trevor Lawrence. I wish it was Zach Wilson. Trevor Lawrence, second, Jets, Zach Wilson, third. Me, yeah, nope. Uh, Trey Lance to the Niners. Ooh. Fields goes fourth to someone, maybe the Falcons. And I'm just drafting the way I would draft. I don't care if I get this right. Oh, okay. Uh, Panay Sewell, five. I, to me, the Bengals are insane if they don't get a – after they watch their quarterback get broken in half and his ACL shredded. Here's the here's the thing with the Bengals, though. Like, mm-hmm. it, we I, I, we could just do the whole rest of the two hours on draft. Yeah. People keep freaking out about the Bengals. Their interior line stinks. Tackle, not that bad. And they got Riley Reef. Like, they're okay at tackle. They need interior linemen, which I think they should address all throughout the draft. Uh, but I do think they should go Jamar Chase. Panay Sewell at five. Miami goes with Kyle Pitts, but I'm only picking that because then I win my bet over under five and a half in the draft. <laughs> it's a very selfish thing I put together. Um, Jamar Chase at seven. No good? I'm sure they would love it. Lions? Lions would love it if, if Jamar Chase fell to them. Uh, and then I keep drafting the way I would draft. Eighth pick is Rashawn Slater okay. to Carolina. Ninth. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I don't even know who's going to make the pick. You know what I mean? Yeah. It could be a different team. But I, I, have, I start doing a run on offensive linemen, even though you guys keep telling me there's so many. But I love offensive linemen. So I actually have Vera Tucker going at 9. Wow. Sertan, Sertan at 10. Uh, Devontae Smith, 10, and by the way, 10's the Cowboys. 11 is the Giants. I have uh, Devonta Smith there because they have a choice of the two Alabama receivers. So I gave the Giants and Gettleman the worst one. Of okay. the two. Okay. So then 
Waddle goes next at 12. That's the Philly, and then they have too many wide receivers. I know we've gone through this before. Not too many, too many. Not the Waddle's tiny. But well, they'd also have I, – I, it's one of my favorite picks that could possibly happen in the draft, Jalen Waddle to Philadelphia, where he's teamed up with Jalen Rager at the other wide receiver and Jalen Hurts as quarterback. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's an announcer's dream. Yeah. Uh, 13, I, I think in your mock draft, and we'll get to your mock draft, I think you had the Chargers trading out of it. Uh, Chargers desperately need, I believe, offensive line, uh, but they also need a cornerback. So I think that's where J.C. Horn goes. Uh, you notice I don't have Mac Jones going anywhere. Patriots are coming up. Yeah. Uh, Patriots are coming up. Oh, here we go. Vikings take him at 14, oh. right ahead oh. of the Patriots. Oh. Now, what do the Pats do? What do the Pats do at 15? In this situation? My guess is they trade back and get more picks, but they do, They have 10 picks already. So I think they're going to be aggressive in, you know, in, with the second and third and fourth round picks and trying to move up later. But I actually, I just have them going defense, and I know everyone else – keeps telling me that Barmore is not that good, but the defensive tackle class is so thin after him. Yeah. I haven't taken Barmore. Um, ooh, Raiders are up in two picks. Here we go. Here we go. 16, Arizona. Michael Parsons. Right before the Raiders. I, I and mean, then I have the Raiders getting Darisaw. Well, that would be a dream, for, a dream for them. Submit. I'm in. There you go. Uh, I... I actually think, and I, I think you're right. The Patriots might try to trade out of there if they were if they were in that situation you described. I think they would take Parsons. Like that, that seems like a Belichick kind of guy. Yeah, just an unbelievably dominant linebacker that can be a rusher, uh, can cover the pass, but also could be a middle linebacker and you go sideline to sideline defend the run. Like that seems like a guy Belichick would take. I still think it's taken before there, um, but like I think a lot of people would look at that and say this is nuts. The draft's always nuts. You have no idea. It's always I actually, nuts. When I did it, I was like, this is boring. There's like, I'm going with sort of the names are all in well, the top 17. Like, I, I need I need someone who's slotted at 27 and 38 to jump into my top 17. Well, the, the, the Raiders. I <laughs> that's know. That's what they do. Uh, Vera Tucker over Darisaw, is, I mean, that's pretty, that's the yeah. interesting one, I think, that people would be like, oh, okay. Uh, where'd that come from? Um, and, yeah, I, I think a, a lot of those picks, Jamar Chase falling to the Lions would be, a dream for them. Uh, they would love that for sure. And I do think somebody – I think the Falcons are going to have a decision because if Justin Fields isn't isn't gone at three, which the, we've heard the 49ers are not taking him, I still think they should, and they might. Uh, but if, if Fields is still there after three, the Falcons' phone is going to ring from every other team in the league. <laughs> what is going on here? Can we get up? How much is it going to cost? Even if you have a quarterback, people are going to start calling up because – the price to get to four isn't the same as the price to get to one. More draft analysis coming up here in about 15 minutes, and also we'll get uh, Caleb Herring's take on the Teddy Bridgewater trade to the Broncos. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. 